0: Hi there, I'm Chris Saroy and welcome to the Sacred Wild podcast. Each week I show you how to live your purpose and discover your own sacred wild spirit. On the podcast we explore the nexus point where nature, consciousness, leadership and activism come together. I talk with thought leaders to get their insights and wisdom about our collective transformation. I also show you how to own your power, give your gifts and make your highest impact on this world. So with that, Let's dive into this next episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sacred Wild podcast. Uh, this is Chris Roy, and this week I have a very special guest from my own part of the world, and that's Mr. Nigel Berman. Nigel, hello, how are you?
1: Hi, I'm doing well, and thank you very much for inviting me onto your podcast. Awesome,
0: awesome, and lovely to have you. And um, just by way of, of context, so I came across Nigel, I think, gosh, it must have been... It's several years ago now. Um, And uh, Nigel runs an organisation called The School of the Wild, based out of Brighton in the UK, my old stomping ground, as it were. And uh, I've just always loved what Nigel is up to in the world. So, Nigel, rather than me me telling the audience, give give us a little bit of the skinny on what what you're up to in the world and what you do. Thank you.
1: Um, Yeah, so, um, yeah, the company's called School of the Wild, and we um we bring lead- these days we bring leaders and teams outside into the wild to help them reconnect and uh, to think differently and to work together better so we're running programs based around a fire for different kinds of organizations and teams and leaders um yeah usually over a day so we kind of I've got a whole spiel about what it is, but uh, that's probably
0: enough. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll come to that. We'll come. I mean, you know, we we first came across each other back when I was running the Brighton Centre of Spirituality, and it was that, you know, as, as as I mentioned in our pre-conversation, it was that kind of space of spirituality, leadership, and nature that you know always spoke to me about School of the Wild back then and now, as it were. Yeah. So, what was it? What was it that? Um, led you to set up School of the Wild in the first place, in its iteration as it was at the beginning?
1: It's a good question. I'm having to cast my mind back. But um, it's a whole long story, and I know we've got plenty of time. So, <laughs>
0: Absolutely. Let's dive in.
1: So I've done various things in my career. Um, I And the, the thing before School of the Wild was um, an e-commerce business actually called Nigel's Eco Store. <laughs> Love it. Uh, would you believe I paid someone to come up with that name? <laughs> <laughs> but um God, I don't know how far back to go in this story actually, because before that I was running another business. But basically, um yeah, I did I, I ran Nigel's Eco Store for about 10 years. Um and you know, we sold kind of innovative energy-saving gadgets and design-led eco-products. And um you know, I started it it around the beginning of the internet before the internet was kind of huge. So in 2005, I think, Um, and it grew really quickly. It just suddenly hit another zeitgeist um, and I found some really interesting eco products and I thought, Mm -hmm. I don't know about these things and I really want to know how to use the internet. So I just kind of made an e-commerce business and with about 10 products, And within a few days, we were selling stuff all over the place. Love that. Um, And it just grew from there. And, you know, I really thought I was saving the planet through products. And I would, you know, I'd go on missions, trade missions to Europe, looking for the latest eco products. And, you know, we we were featured in all the kind of national press. And, um, you know, it was going really well Mm. until the financial crash in kind of 2008 2009 yeah, yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> you know the the conversation in the uk changed from the government saying they were trying to be the greenest government ever mm-hmm. to it all being about the economy and um you know saving money and business basically started to just go downhill it sort of it was on mm-hmm. an uphill Curve till then, and then it went on a down a slow downhill curve, and it took about another five years um, for the decline to kind of become terminal. Um, and it mm-hmm. was everything was kind of declining, and I became very stressed, it was very stressful, and I had high blood pressure and mm. um, wasn't sleeping very well. Um, and in the kind of process of thinking about how do I fix this? Mm-hmm. Um, I, someone suggested about the idea about selling experiences rather than, mm. as well as products. And so I I came across some people who were doing um, kind of nature connection work.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: And I did some workshops in the woods. And, and around the same time, I also I did a program at Embercombe called The Journey. Oh, okay. Um, and I was introduced to people like David Abrams and his book. I don't know if you've read it, The Spell of the Sensuous. Which,
0: yeah, actually, yeah, yeah.
1: I don't know anybody's actually managed to read it, but it's like because it's so I, it
0: is really, really. <laughs> I, I've never managed to get through it, but it's it is amazing. It is an amazing book. And they
1: people were just saying all sorts of stuff that just really resonated. Um, you know that the nature is a community that we belong to. That it's more than just recreation, and I think there was a, there was something. Why it resonated strongly with me is because I was involved in a meetup group in Brighton
0: that
1: mm-hmm. um, was about people meeting up and going and doing walks or bike rides in nature. And I'd been on a bike ride from Chichester to Bognor Reg- Regis mm-hmm. with this group, and it was a beautiful sunny day and. Part of the the bike ride went through Pagan Marshes, but it's beautiful. I and I think it was low tide, and the sun was out, and the sun was reflecting on the kind of these pools. And there's like um, earth banks that you can kind of the path goes across, and you can cycle along it. Okay. But the guy that was leading it, his objective was just to get through this as quickly as possible. You know, it was
0: right, like speed right. Route.
1: And I was like this is beautiful, I want to experience this and soak it up and, and feel what it's like to be here. Mm. And it made me realise that, you know, being in nature is not just about recreation, and that's important for me. Yeah. And spending time and not just treating it as somewhere to go for a run or, you know, a bike ride. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, and then so sort a of whole load of things started to coalesce, and I met some people who are. Offering different kinds of nature connection things, and I met someone um, who I actually started dating, who's a eco artist, and she was running um, things in the woods where, like, teaching people how to make pottery from from river clay, love and, that you know, baskets and wild plants, and you know, I'd be sitting around a fire doing these crazy things. Like in learning how to make fire without matches, which you know, I didn't know any of this stuff existed.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely. I've been
1: selling gadgets and products through (laughs) through e-commerce, and before that, I was running a a magazine, so it was all about technology and using software and being in front of computers for long hours. And this is like a revelation, and it felt like coming home. And it, you know, it was a complete antidote to being at a desk, you know, in front of a screen and. and all the kind of stress that I'd felt from the business uh, started to get better and I just felt happier. Um, And I thought, and so all these things were kind of floating around in my head and, and I thought I want, I want to learn more about all of these kind of things, you know, and I've just done this course with Emberkin and it felt really significant. So um, I started to bring teachers Uh, and I set up a meetup group and Mm -hmm. we started to schedule different kinds of activities, some bushcraft things. We were experimenting. You know, we tried more, more woo-woo, more spiritual things. We tried more practical things um, and it just kind of took off. I mean, you know, within the first week, I think we had a hundred members and it just grew to thousands. Um, You know, we were scheduling classes on a Sunday morning, where we would teach people fire making, foraging, um, nature connection things, mm. night walks, whittling. And, yeah. and basically, it was a way for me to to um, get to play with all these things and <laughs> to bring in great teachers and to learn from them and and, and be in the woods and love be around fires and you know it was brilliant.
0: Yeah, love that. Love that. And what I really liked about what you were programming and all that was, you know, there's, you know, there is bushcraft stuff out there. There is stuff on, you know, where I come from and Druidry and Earth-based. But you were, as you say, you were bringing lots of aspects. Nature was the central part of it as opposed to bushcraft. Or, you know, it was was very eclectic. And that's what really attracted me in the first place.
1: I I was curating different things that I wanted to learn about, you know, and it wasn't, mm. you know, we did fire making. We occasionally did um, bow drill, like bushcraft, like how to make fire from rubbing two sticks together, basically. Yeah, yeah. But that wasn't really what I was after. You know, it was more about synthesising some different aspects of my life. And I think that's something that I've always done. You know, mm. when I ran a magazine, it was a bit spiritual, a bit about eating out and what's on the cinema and Mm. a kind of contemporary modern life that has an element of spirituality to it, but that's not what it's all about. And I think the same with school of the wild is it was about that kind of understanding. So somewhere in the middle, like, like having a leg in different camps.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what, uh, you know, as, as we kind of said earlier, it's like you, you can't move, in the media or on social media or, you know, for nature now, it's like, it, it, yeah. it, it, it's everywhere, which can only be a good thing, but you know, I remember you doing this back in I don't know, 2013, 2014, maybe even a bit earlier. Um, and, um, I came on, on a medicine walk and it was with Rebecca card. Who's been on this podcast. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah you were you were the only one locally certainly doing anything like that at the time which was pretty amazing
1: I mean medicine walks continue to blow my mind you know they're amazing and uh yeah you know I'm trying to find work out a way of how to do those with leaders and and with teams and um I think we're just we're going to start I mean I did some two years ago um where I got a bunch of leaders together and we did I didn't really tell them. I think that's the thing. It's like, I don't, I'm not saying come and do a medicine walk. I was inviting people to be around a campfire and to, to do some leadership work. And um, then I would get them to do a medicine walk. You know, it's really interesting. It's so powerful. Um,
0: I think it's all, it's all about the framing. Right. Right. So, so let, let's, let's talk about that then. Cause obviously over the several years, School of the Wilders. I don't know whether we call it shifted focus or focused in, or but you yeah. you now have much more of focus, as folks who said earlier around leadership teams, you know yeah. that kind of business side. Of what you know before we actually get what was it that caused the shift for you? So there's a couple of things. One is that
1: some businesses got in touch with us and asked us if we could um, organize something for them. Um, particularly what i discovered through doing um the meetup group is that foraging sells everybody wants to learn foraging
0: (laughs) especially Um, around brighton hove right well yeah
1: i mean i don't know if we were the first people doing it but we definitely kind of publicized it and um i think also we we kind of were very good on our seo for foraging so brilliant um, love it googling foraging in brighton we came up top i think Um, which is how businesses found us because they wanted to do kind of a foraging day with their, with their team. And, you know, it wasn't, the other thing is it wasn't really a business. It was like a hobby. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I was doing these sessions on a Sunday morning with teachers. um, And it wasn't really making, you know, it wasn't making any money. I was just about sometimes, you know, I would just be, be able to cover the teacher and, uh, Sometimes we were, we'd split whatever it was 50-50. But um, I was trying to figure out a way how to make it make it a business, and um, mm. and I wanted to make it more interesting for myself. I wasn't doing I wasn't leading anything. I was only bringing in teachers. Yeah, and I was always the helper. Um, I always wanted to be there because I'm quite a hands-on kind of person. And, and, Mm. you know, part of the reason for me doing it is that I wanted to be doing this stuff, um, you know, to be in the woods and not to be just organising it for somebody else to do.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: So for all of those reasons, you know, um, I have had over the years a um, kind of coachy type consultant guy um, called Matt Weston, who is an absolute genius and is somebody who helped me in my previous business, um, really creative guy and uh, I had a session with him and he said, I think you should drop the public um, classes and just work with businesses. If you want to turn this into a business, then that's where the business is. And it took me a, kind of a long time to do that. There was a while when we were doing both at the same time, but it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it kind of didn't really work because um, I don't think people knew what we were. And um, and then we were doing stuff at the weekends and then like the pricing and, you know, it, it didn't really work. And so, two years ago, I think we just—I just decided to drop the the classes for the public on Sunday mm. morning. Well, actually, it's not entirely true. I, I um I decided if we're going to do it, then we're only going to do things that are edgy and interesting. So, yes. <laughs> so um, we did uh, blindfold foraging.
0: Oh my God! Really amazing
1: one of the best things we've ever done. I mean, basically we've been trying to do foraging based around the idea of like, this is about tuning into your senses, not about learning from a book. It's not about necessarily knowing the name of something. It's about the only way to really know a plant is through your senses is how, you know, is to smell it, to, to taste it, to touch it. I mean, mm. tasting things at the end really, because you need to be really safe and sure that it's, of course, um, um, but if you remove sights, and you then it forces you to use your other senses, and it's just really it was just brilliant. It was really brilliant, and we we kind of led people. So we did it in a really safe way, and we led people really slowly to kind of different plants, and we got them to smell it and to feel it and Amazing. to taste it before they took before they looked at it.
0: Um, awesome, love that.
1: And then we've been doing some night walks. And I thought, which I love as well, it's like it's one of the another one of my favourite things. There's something about being on the land at night. There's kind of, is a bit of a thing here, where it kind of you can't see as much. Yeah. You tune into your other senses, and you get a feeling for the land, and and um, you know because there's not the buzz of the daytime, the land is kind of much quieter, and and uh, it can be really magical. Yeah. All these night walks. And I thought, right, let's do an all-night walk. <laughs> so we did. So those were the kind of two things, brilliant, that we did, for, that we continued to do while we were sort of in the middle of dropping our kind of uh, workshop for individuals. Yeah. And then yeah. recently, we basically stopped doing that altogether, and we're just working with organisations um, and leaders.
0: Yeah, amazing. I just want to pick up on something just before we go into that of something i really hear there and it's something that comes out a lot on this podcast but it's that we just put out an episode today with a lady called laura adrian from uh minneapolis and um we're talking about mindfulness and actually it's like actually that thing with nature and kind of really kind of going into the body embodiment is it's almost mindlessness as it were and i think what i hear of what you're saying is for me like sight is always the most heady of the senses and when you take that away, you have to drop into that felt sense, which is a different relationship. We're not used to doing that, are we as human beings these days?
1: Yeah, but I think it's 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 natural. I mean <laughs> of course it is. I want a better word. Um I you know, I I'm really interested in Buddhist meditation. I mean, that's my main practice at the moment. Mm. Um and the practice I'm doing is noticing. Well, it, it is, it's beyond mindfulness, actually. It's about um, mind and, and seeing where mind is, but also seeing space mm. uh, or feeling it, feeling space. I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm exploring this at the moment and I'm at the beginning of a journey. So it's, uh, but it's very interesting. I love the that. The idea of, you know, that we have a kind of cognitive mind and a
0: non-cognitive mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. hmm Absolutely. Well, I mean, let's face it, you know, the science is saying that, you know, there's neurological matter in the heart and the gut these days. We know about serotonin being produced. So it's not just, that's the thing for me. I think, you know, the word mind is synonymous with head and what I hear, you're right. It's really natural, but we're in the human construct of a world, it seems like we live very strongly in a heady, um, you know, one mode of being as it were, which is not a natural way of being. Well, maybe we think, you know,
1: we think we do, but actually there's all sorts of other stuff going on that we just kind of maybe don't acknowledge. But, you know.
0: Yeah, that's fair.
1: Your, your feelings and your senses trigger before you think something. I mean, they influence it. I, 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 mm. I've been listening to all sorts of different things. I don't know if you know the book, um, The Secret Teachings of Plants.
0: I do. I do. I haven't read it, yet, but it's on my list. It's actually on the bookshelf over there.
1: So I, I recently discovered audiobooks because I'm I'm a big one for buying loads of books and then putting them on the side and never reading them. And I, I, tried, <laughs> I tried to read um, Secret Teachings of Plants and got stuck. So now I'm listening to it as an audiobook, and I'm also getting stuck on that, actually. It's quite – because it's very dense as well.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but there's a lot of things that link up. So what he talks about is about um, sensing with your heart, which is, which is kind of – related to the meditation thing that i'm doing Mm -hmm. and also i i was watching something about um from the heart math institute where they talk about that you know the heart has a field that's about extends about four feet or more in front of Mm -hmm. us and um, our heads extends about six inches or something so that you know we sense way more with our hearts than we do with our with our heads
0: Yeah. It's like, it's like the feels like, what is it? 5,000% bigger or something like that. Yeah. Amazing. So, I mean, bringing that fully up to date, which is, you know, um, uh, you know, I work a lot of my day day work is with, with leaders and with leadership teams and that kind of stuff. And I love kind of that you've brought leadership into this realm as it were. So, um, what are you finding? Uh, you know, uh, given that nature is such a big thing right now, what what are you finding is the uh, the receptivity of business, um, and you know how how the re- how leaders are responding to the work that you're doing.
1: I think it's definitely changed. I mean, a couple of years ago, it was a struggle. You know, partly. For people to bring their teams out, or to to think, you know, to to think that they can, because you you have to go somewhere else to do it. You know, you can't do it from your office. You can't you can't hire a meeting room and and go and do it there. You've got to go somewhere else. You've got to you know to give up or allocate a few hours. You've got to get out of town somewhere, and you know it was an absolute struggle to persuade people to come and do it. Um, now <laughs> it's kind of a bit ridiculous that, you know, we're making these pitches to companies and, you know, we're expecting 20 or 30% of them to say yes. They're all saying yes. Um, <laughs> I think they're fun. starting, to, you know, they're starting to get it. And I think we've got a, we've got a stronger story and we understand, I understand what we're doing now.
0: Mm.
1: It's taken me a while to get that. Um, you know, and, and it's, you know, partly about team. It's more about team and leadership development, development, and doing that in nature than kind of persuading or. or um, I'm not sure exactly how to say this, but um, you know, we're not we're not doing really nature connection overtly with with teams mm-hmm. and with leaders. We're we're using nature as a container and for the process. Yeah, so we're running processes really with. Um, more with teams at the moment, you know, but I've always felt that the conversation is the important thing and that we're we're using nature to create a space for meaningful conversations that change the way people work and then change the way that people live. And, you know, it's, for me, it's about impact.
0: Mm. Mm
1: -hmm. So, um, Mm -hmm you know, we've developed a process that includes some activities that includes facilitated conversation, but the idea is that they, that people leave with or the group, the group leaves with actions that they're actually going to do something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously there are, you know, lots of organizations out there and, you know, through the last kind of, um, 18 months or so uh, having said, I was going to steer away from like the pandemic and all that kind of thing. Obviously yeah. that's, that's a massive part of what's what's going on right now, but yeah. uh, what are you, so there are lots of organizations that kind of do team development, that kind of stuff, yeah. but what are you finding is the impact of using nature as a container for that kind of work? I mean, all
1: the things that that they say in the kind of research, that I think there's been an explosion of research about the benefits of being in nature, but you can you can see it happening, you know, that it's, that it's a great leveller, that people can be themselves and can relate to each other as human beings rather than their job role, mm. um, that boosts creative thinking, that it reduces distracted thinking, that it helps you think longer term rather than short term, that it helps you feel like you're part of something. I mean, it's, you know, it's, a, it's an immersion you know, when you're out in the woods, you can't really separate yourself from that. You're in it, Um, you're part of it. So, um, you know, what people experience is they feel more connected to each other and they feel more positive and they get to know each other better as people and they're building trust and um, they get the benefits of feeling both energised and refreshed and and, you know, and relaxed um mm. and that feeling lasts so I don't know I mean at the end of the day I mean I am often crying on our days because of what people say you know uh at the end because Amazing. it's really emotional, you know and it's really we don't have to we don't really have to say this stuff to people it's like they all say it back to us at the end about how they feel more connected with each other and um all those things I just said
0: so I can imagine. I mean, look, you know, the uh, the fact that you're able to get kind of certain companies out into nature in the first place will, you know, that that will separate them out from those organisations that just wouldn't do that. But I'm sure that you do see the full gamut of people in a group of those that are really lent in versus those that are a bit cynical as they come in or whatever else. That's an assumption on my part, as it were. I, said, word. I yeah. mean, is is that is that how it happens? And what do you what do you see actually sh- shifting people, you know, in in an experiential sense? From,
1: I mean, from you know, I don't. People don't tend to be cynical. I mean, pretty much everybody who's come, love that, is happy to be there. I think you know what's interesting is. That mostly the leaders and the leadership are asking their teams, do they want to do this? But mm. so they bring everybody on board, so then they don't just say, we're doing this and you're coming. So mostly they've asked them if they'd like to. And mostly, I don't think we've ever had anybody who was cynical about it. I mean, we have people who are a little bit nervous. Yeah, of course. Um, but maybe for other reasons. Um, yeah.
0: Does that answer your question? I can't. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I don't think we've really had anybody who's really that
0: resistant or reluctant. Not that I can remember. What kind of nervousness do you tend to notice people have? Because I can, I can imagine we're so, I mean, I forget what the stats are, but if you take kind of, you know, China, for example, you know, the, the rate of urbanization there is, massive and i think you know the the stats are something like 60 percent of the world population is going to be in an environment by 2030 or something along those lines Yeah. so that's the assumption i make around nervousness and that kind of thing but what what do you see
1: um i mean it can be a mix of just people who are just generally nervous in life anyway and so being out of their comfort zone um brings that up mm-hmm. um yeah to people who i mean i guess there are people who just don't spend any time in nature it's kind of getting rarer from the people that come to our days but you know there there have been people who just don't spend any time in nature and they're not sure what to expect or you know what we're going to do with them um but i've not noticed i mean to be honest you know, because of the pandemic, we haven't done it for, for a year. We are only just mm. starting to, to... We're just opening up again. It's only just been allowed from April.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: So trying to remember back like a couple of years ago. <laughs>
0: I, can't, I can't remember. There's nothing that
1: particularly has stood out from people who are nervous. Um You know, somebody came along to something we did recently they were quite nervous, but I think that was just personal kind of a result of, you know, partly there's a little bit of nervousness about people kind of emerging from lockdown and yeah, being with one kind of a lot of being around people again. Um, yeah.
0: But it's not many. Interesting. Really, really interesting. I mean, I do think there's been, been quite a major shift as well, right. Uh, you know, from the, you know, the pandemic and, you know, just, I think it's been building for for, for some time, the, the, the notion of our, you know, somewhat reconnection with with, with yeah. nature as it were. But I'm sure there are lots of people out there listening who have probably done, you know, some kind of team development intervention in a building, in a conference yeah. room, that kind of yeah. you know, so so hearing words like team development, all that might have some yeah. connotation. What does uh what's the what might a typical day in, in the woods doing teamwork with you look like or what can, what would they notice that's different? Can I just say that <laughs>
1: As you said, that, I, re- I remember at the end of one day, probably a while ago, where we were working with a um, campaigns team from a, from a large charity. And at the end, one of the, you know, we go around at the end and, and we ask people to say what they got out of the day. And, and uh, one guy said, you know, when I heard that we were doing a kind of corporate team building thing, I, I really thought it was going to be crap. <laughs> but it was brilliant. Love that. Brilliant. Yeah. Yay! Yeah, I totally love that. Um, Yeah, so what does it mean? You know, like I said, it's based around a campfire. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a sort of an arc to the day, which is uh, connection, reflection and emergence. Mm. So we do, and the morning is all about connection and a little bit of reflection. So we do, um, you know, some fun icebreakery things and then we'll teach people activities uh, which could be a bushcraft thing. It could be how to make fires without matches. It could be building a shelter. Mm. It could be whittling. It could be foraging. Something where they can learn something new and have an experience and um, relax and be together doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, Very smart. We try and design them so that they reflect that organization's situation. So if they're in different offices, we might build in something around different groups doing things where they've got to talk to each other differently. Um, and we try and do it in such a way that there is a learning to be had from it that you can take back into your work. Mm. So it's more than just the activity. It's, there's, it's a learning um, process as well. Mm. Then we do lunch. And um, then in the afternoon, we tend to do we host and facilitate a conversation around the question and the theme that they've brought which could be about how they work together it could be about well-being it could be about purpose it could be legacy it could be around sustainability or values um so it's about what they bring and their issue that they'd like to talk about yeah and you know and then we're doing it as like involving everybody in and um you know meaningful participation in a conversation where that leads to that they decide on some doing something together some actions that they're going to take away and implement
0: amazing amazing and i can imagine i uh, just i mean you know, i've run run a lot of these things in in buildings yeah and i just i'm just in my in myself just imagining being in the woods with the connection i have with wood or you know a piece of nature and that kind of thing and just the difference i can imagine is it's huge
1: as it were totally i mean doing the, you know doing the stuff around a fire is kind of primal it's how you know it's how we how we were how we were together for thousands of years you know we were telling stories around fires we were kind of telling conversation around fires deciding things together around fires um, it's kind of in our blood,
0: mm, yeah. In our genes. Well, and there's that there's that link back, right, to what we were saying earlier about you know the taking away the the, the visibility thing. It's almost like a, a link back to something deeper. Yeah. Um, what What do you think? Um, I mean, because organisations are effectively uh, an organism, or a, you know mm. that kind of thing. In the same way, you know a forest is or whatever else. What do you think organisations have to learn from nature, as it were? That's a really good question. Um, a really big question as well. I appreciate that. Question.
1: Uh, I mean, I, a lot, I think I would say, is the answer to that. I mean, you know, all the things that we're grappling with. I mean, I think the, the reason why I got into this is because I've always been on a kind of an ecological, environmental mission. And, you know, I felt that you know, the, the, the whole disconnect that we have from nature because we live in cities, because we work in offices, because we're using technology, um, That's you know, from the Industrial Revolution, there's been like a slow disconnection from nature. Mm-hmm. And, you know, 90% of us live, not 90%, um, I think it's more than 80% of us in the UK live in cities, towns and cities. Mm-hmm. And we spend something like 90% of our time indoors, Um, and we've kind of forgotten that we're part of nature, that we are nature, that, Mm. you know, that we've sort of forgotten that we're animals and that we kind of think we're something else.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And I think, you know, if we're going to um, fix the problems that we clearly have, climate change, you know, the ecological crisis... Mm. that we have to reconnect with nature and find a different way of doing things and and reconnect our hearts.
0: Yes, yes, yes.
1: And, you know, I'm not sure the technological solutions, which is where things seem to be heading, are going to fix it. I think it's Joanna Macy that talks about, it's all about changing consciousness and, you know, to you know, to paraphrase or to rephrase Einstein, um,
0: mm-hmm. we're not going to fix problems in the same way that you know, in the same place that we created them. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You are a man after my own heart. In in, yeah. in that, and, you know, it's interesting because uh, in the the holistic activism piece that I kind of mentioned earlier, you know, we are talking to some, some org- like very large organisations that are. You know, have committed to kind of net zero carbon, net zero yeah. greenhouse gas emissions, and, so and they are, you know, as, as you as you talk to them, they are in that place of you know, how do we monitor? How do we create organizational change and this kind of thing? Yeah. But it's it's a very, um, I keep on using the word heady, uh, it's, but it's yeah. a very analytical, yeah. rational, you know, neocortex yeah. kind of approach. I'm just kind of curious as to you know, uh, you know, it's a hypothetical, I guess, but if an organisation was looking at that kind of thing, you know, and it's a great thing that organisation, some organisations are looking at that and going, you know, we've got to do that. That, yeah. that That's clearly a good thing. But what kind of difference do you think it would be if they came out and d- did some work with you in the woods or in a field or something? And what, what impact do you think that would have?
1: Well, you know, I think like you just said, I mean, it's about, it's about more than, than a head connection. It's about an emotional connection. It's about, you know making it heartfelt and um feeling the connection with each other and with nature i think would lead people to different different solutions and different decisions mm-hmm. um and if you just try and do it in a in a room i mean i um or in your office i read someone else's website and they said something like a desk is a dangerous place to view the world
0: Um, you know if you're making
1: decisions about the world surely you need to be out there in it to kind of know what's going on and what it feels like and to learn from it and to feel part of it
0: yeah absolutely i could i could not agree with you more i could not agree with you more and it uh, and like you say it's a lot of these organizations are making decisions about something that seems to be out there or Mm. other than or separate than rather than we are part of it and we can learn from it even if it's non you know a more than human perspective yeah um yes
1: i think we've forgotten that there is a more than human world yeah you know it's not all about us
0: <laughs> no 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 absolutely it really isn't and i think there's 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 the biggest piece of like ego bravado ever right it's you know, yeah. clearly all about us um yeah but it's so, so not. And, you know, I think in my investigation with this podcast, I you know, I always come back to a phrase that I think I first saw Don Miguel Ruiz using the Four Agreements, which was, you know, not a new concept, but the domestication of the human spirit. And, yeah. you know, so that for me is the, that no- notion of what is our sacred wild nature. yeah, And that's got to be connected to the wild somehow, which is why yeah. I love the school of the wild, <laughs> as it were. Yeah. I mean, I'm still working this out. You know, what does that mean? What does it mean
1: to be connected to your, to your own wildness? Mm. Um, All I can say is how it affects me when I do that, you know, when, when I'm out in the woods, when I'm mm. doing something wild. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Have you ever come across, there's a, a great writer called Martin Shaw, uh, yes. who's based in Oxford, wrote called cool, the Wild Twin. And uh, I that,
1: but I followed. Do you know? I was a bit of a Martin Shaw groupie because I've seen him uh, tell stories, and he's a brilliant storyteller.
0: Oh God, yeah,
1: really. But I don't know that
0: story. So, Courting the Wild Twin. It, it, I mean, it's it's a whole, it's a book. It's based in a, a, a notion, and I'm going to do a horrible paraphrasing here. But the notion of uh, that as human beings, we are born. We're actually born as twins. We have the civilized twin and the wild twin, mm-hmm. and the our parents chuck the wild twin out the window and off they go running in the wild, but, but we're still always connected with them. Uh, but they run amok and all that out in their wildness. And we, we live these very civilized lives and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I guess in modern psychology, it's like modern psychology, but we might call that shadow work as it were, but it's almost like we've placed our own wildness into shadow to use the Jungian terms. Um, put, and lost a big piece of ourselves along the way as it were you know i had
1: a really really interesting experience on the last team day that we did um that something happened and I, and this is something that's been happening to me over the last few years is that um sometimes often when i say something that's meaningful for me i get quite emotional mm. um and as I was saying to you, that this often happens at the end of a team day. But on the last team day, it happened right at the very start. It's like within, like from the get-go, like I'm just saying my opening introduction and I'm starting to choke up. <laughs> <laughs> Which I do not really know where that was coming from. But, I, you know, I do find that quite uncomfortable, especially when, you know, working with a large group and suddenly you start uh, getting a bit teary. Um, and um love that. This time, I think there's partly something that I'm learning about facilitation is that, as my mentor has to keeps telling me, you have to stand in solidarity with the group, and um, that means taking the same risk and being as authentic and honest um, as you hope that they will be. And um, so, I just decided that I'm not going to try and hide this, which is what I might have otherwise tried to do. Uh, And you know, it was fine, and I and I. Uh, mentioned it and, um, it and it felt good to do that. And I finished my bit and later on um, a guy came up to me and said, you know, how do you do that? I, you know, I, I find it really difficult to to show my emotions. Um, mm. You know, is there any advice you can give me? And I just thought how important it is for men, particularly young men, um, to get in touch with their vulnerability and to, to be to feel that as a strength.
0: Rather than as a weakness. Oh, God, talk about taking my breath away. Yes, 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 yes.
1: 100%. You know, and that hadn't happened to me before. And it felt really important. And I, I got a little inkling about some future work, working with men particularly, and maybe, I don't know, or young men. Um, we'll see.
0: Well, it's funny because my next next question kind of beginning to kind of draw us towards a, a, a closing, as it were was going to be. So, where where do you see things kind of going next, both for the School of the Wild and for yourself, as it were?
1: I mean, I, I would really like. To, I'm working on a on a long, on a longer program. You know, we'd really like to, to take a team or a, or a group of leaders on more of a journey. Our days have tended to be um, one off programs uh, maybe over a day or even just an afternoon um, but i'd like to do something that, that, where we can go on a journey with a group um so i'm working on that so that is in development um yeah just you know it's kind of school of the Wild has been a bit of a side project and i guess i'm hoping that it's going to become more of a full-time thing um, and, yeah, personally, I mean, it's about getting more experience of facilitation and getting better at that and knowing, you know, knowing more about working with groups and and bringing more things in, like medicine walks, um, where we can kind of push the boundaries a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, it, if there's one word that I think sort of has become very apparent in this conversation to me, even if we haven't said it a lot, is emergent. Um, and one of the, I think, you know, coming back to one of the strengths I see in you and what you're doing and it comes back to that vulnerability piece is, you know, business traditionally is not very comfortable with, with emergent reality. We need to be in control. We need to have certainty. We need to have, you know, outcomes and all that kind of thing. And, you know, I think this, this emergent journey you've been on. You know, it has been you were ahead of your time back then. I think you are sort of ahead of your time now, and my prediction will be: uh, be careful what you ask for, because I think in the next couple of years, I think things are going to go absolutely bonkers for you, as it were. Um, it feels a bit
1: bonkers at the moment, actually. I think I love I love emergence and I love the idea of it, and um, I think it's. Emergence is a property of the wild because you bring things together and you've no idea what's going to happen as a result. And, uh, so I think that's really, that really fits. So thank you for that.
0: No, not at all. Not at all. And I think, you know, in business, we, we have this very, you know, um, uh, I don't know. It's not a contrived word at all, but you know, it's a very safe word. I think we call it innovation, you know, yeah. and actually that's just emergent reality, isn't it? In a certain kind of way. Um, yeah no fascinating fascinating um and uh, if people want to find out about the work that you're doing and they want to kind of do something maybe with their company or their team where can they find you find out about what you're up to and what you offer
1: uh, yeah the best place is probably our
0: website which is schoolofthewild.com brilliant stuff brilliant stuff and uh, do you imagine that because uh, obviously i know you're 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 brighton and sussex base at the moment yeah. do you uh, imagine that the emergence might take you into a, a wider playing field as it were
1: i mean it kind of is starting to happen we're getting um clients in london who want to do it in london so I, i've been looking for places to do this work in london which is tricky but i found a few places um so hopefully later this summer and autumn, we're going to be doing some work in London. I don't know beyond that. Um, I mean, it's a whole other story about (laughs) how we run the days and because we don't actually have our own venue. So we use different venues, which means that we're always bringing kit in and there's a lot of kit and it, you know, it is a a logistical thing. (laughs) Um, So I'm trying to think about how we could uh, reduce the load of that.
0: Yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> Nigel, if there was given, given this journey you've been on and what I, what I really love is that I think part of your vulnerability in emergent is that there is a, I, there is a, I get this feeling of a certain level of comfort with ambiguity as it were. And, you know, and being with the question as it were, if there was a piece of wisdom that you could give business leaders from your journey, from your connection with nature and the effect you see nature has on business, what wisdom would you give? I was dreading this question. I knew you were going to ask (laughs) me.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think the important thing is is to get outside and maybe go for walks on your own. In the woods, I think that's my, that's my top tip and bit of wisdom. There's, you know, it's a place where you don't feel alone, where you can feel connected, where you might get some of your best ideas, where you might learn something new um, to spend some time in nature
0: without an agenda. Mm. That's my wisdom. There's the important bit for me, or the super important bit without an agenda. Awesome. Awesome. Nigel, thank you so much for being a guest. It's, um, this has been everything I hoped it would be and, and more so. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, thank you so much for being with us this afternoon. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. And yeah, likewise, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you, Chris. Awesome, awesome. So there you go, everyone. Uh, My name is Chris Sarai. I'm the host of The Sacred Wild. Our guest this afternoon was Nigel Berman uh, of The School of the Wild. And uh, we'll see you next time on The Sacred Wild Podcast. Bye for now. Thank you so much for joining me on The Sacred Wild Podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and got something meaningful out of it. And if you did, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. Those reviews really help us out and they're what keep us here. Also, please make sure to hit subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and loved ones. And with that, many blessings and I look forward to seeing you next time on the Sacred Wild podcast. Bye for now.